we are starting our Holy Spirit series this week. It's a five. It's actually a ten week series, but this ten week series we're going to break in half. We're going to do five weeks now, and then at the end of that we're going to go into the book of Ephesians, and we're going to verse by verse go through the book of Ephesians, and then we're going to start again into the second part of the Holy Spirit series. This Holy Spirit series is basically the first five weeks is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And then the second part is the, the gifts of the Spirit. And so we're going to do a lot of foundational groundwork to what we believe to be the Word of God, telling us what the Holy Spirit is like and who He is. And so we're going to look at these in these days. I, in praying for the church and praying for you, I feel like this is exactly where the Lord would have us to be. I believe it's so strong. We were going to start this series next week. And I said, you know what? I wish we could have started this a couple weeks ago, but I feel like we had some other things we had, to, we had to work through. But in praying for the church, I feel like this is exactly what the Lord would have us to look at and to go through as a church. And I feel like so strongly about this. I just, I just feel like, Lord, this is what you are speaking to us. This is what you'd have us to look into. This is what you'd have us to investigate and to say, Lord, what does your word have to say about this? And so there is a workbook that you're, you, can, you can get after the service today, which is week one of the five-week series. And that workbook, is, it's, it's five days out of the seven days in the week. And so every, you know, every, every day this week, you'll be able to dig into what the word of God has to say for further reading and further application into your life about the things that you're going to hear me speak about today. And so I, you, need to do, you need to pick up that workbook if you haven't already today. Pick that workbook up. Today is day one. So you will start today. In your home groups, as you go to your home groups this week, your life share groups, you will be going through this workbook as well. So it's very important that you not only get the workbook and you, and you go through it yourselves, but that you also begin to say as a community, as a church, how do we make application to the Word of God into our lives? And so life share groups is such a vital place for us to bring application and accountability to each other. So get the workbook. I believe, can we download that on the internet, the workbook? Have we done that? Okay, we're working on putting that, the workbook on, uh, the, on the website so you can download it for yourself if in case you did miss it or you forgot it or you left it at work or whatever it may be. So we'll hopefully get that to you this week. But pick up a workbook. This week is week one. Next week we'll have workbooks for week two and week three after that. So They'll be back on the sound booth. Get those after um, the service today. And we also have a book by Francis Chan called The Forgotten God, The Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan is, is a pastor out in California, and he's just the right mix of, of, of theologically sound and very practically pastoral to, for us. So this, he's a good mix of of both of those things. So you don't get lost in all the verbiage and the Greek words and that kind of thing where you're like, oh, I don't, I don't get this, but he's not so basic that it's just kind of like, ah, I, I kind of heard that before. So it's a good mix of both. And so use that as supplemental reading to what we're going to be learning here on Sunday morning. So that book is a, that book has been very helpful for me. It's one of the better books that I've read in the past year, at least maybe two years. It's really challenged me in my faith. Michelle was going through it last night and reading things like, Johnny, listen to this. This is what he writes. You know, it's really been challenging to her as well. So pick up that book. It's $12 in the back. Um, it's Francis Chan. You can pick it up at Family Christian Bookstore, at Amazon. You don't have to buy it from us. But we do want to make that book available to you. So that is going to be in the back after the service as well. Let's, let's pray. 
And we'll ask the Lord to be with us as we begin our series on the Holy Spirit. Lord, we come before you this morning excited that your word speaks to us today. Lord, that you are not silent, you're not distant, but you're near. Your word is alive and active. And so, Lord, this morning we would ask that your word would continue to bear fruit in our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring an understanding of your word. And Lord, I pray that as a church, that we would be responsive to your word, obedient to your word. And Lord, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would come and fill this place. Help us be aware of your presence in our lives. And God, I pray that you would help me to articulate the eternal truths in your word. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for allowing us to meet here this morning to hear your word proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to just turn with me to John 14. So we're going to be learning about the Holy Spirit the next few weeks. And it's easy to slip into a real kind of practical theology of the Holy Spirit. So we believe God is Trinity. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have a solid view of who God is. And we can see that from the very beginning in Genesis. In the beginning was God. And, 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 and we understand that. And we acknowledge that. And we affirm that. And then we see Jesus Christ coming to earth, incarnate, fully God, fully man, dying on the cross for our sins, rising to life in the third day, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, and we understand that, and we affirm that, and we acknowledge that, and we rejoice in that. But then when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like this kind of doctrine sometimes we keep in the basement of our theology. Like, yeah, he's there, and... He does some good stuff, and it was really cool what he did in the book of Acts, and um, that's good, and we don't see that today necessarily, but that's great. And so that's kind of the extent sometimes of our understanding of the Holy Spirit. So we, we, love, we love God, we love Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's this kind of fuzzy, vague, gray area of our theology that we acknowledge that we believe in because we kind of have to. It's in there. But what does that mean for our lives? What does that practically mean for our lives on a daily basis? Now, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, for me, I have, a, I have some different reactions. I see the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and in, in the, the works uh, of Paul and the Bible throughout, throughout his, his letters to the churches. And, and I, I see like, man, there's some powerful stuff happening. There's some amazing things going on. There's people being raised to life. There's people being healed. The, the word of God is going forth with great power. People who one day were denying Christ, just a few weeks later are preaching sermons in front of thousands. And thousands of people are responding in faith, boldness, power. And then we kind of get to places where our understanding of the Holy Spirit can get kind of weird. Because we see guys in white suits on a big stage, like pushing people over 
And we see the guy with whose wife has got 10 pounds of makeup on and they're talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's just kind of like, what's this, what's going on here? Where's the disconnect? And so we don't want to really be labeled as one of those churches. And so we kind of like distance ourselves from this kind of work of the Holy Spirit that we believe in, but we don't really know what that means. And so because we distance ourselves from all that kind of weird stuff that we see on the internet, those forwards from people and, and you know, the end times and the, the dragon in, in Revelation means, means this and it's this country or whatever, we kind of distance ourselves from this, the prophecy or the gifts of the Holy Spirit because it's, it can get weird and blown out of proportion. And we end up turning away from the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. Because what happens is, is we begin to define and determine what the work of the Holy Spirit means in our lives, not from an understanding of the word, but from past experience or someone else's experience. And so we don't allow the word of God to inform us, to direct us, to clarify things that we don't understand. And that's our challenge today. And for the next 10, the next, the 10 weeks that we're going to do these things. And my challenge to you Don't allow preconceived ideas or understandings of stuff that you've heard or seen on TV or the internet to inform your understanding of the Holy Spirit. We're going to dig into God's word. And what we want is we want the word of God to influence and determine our understanding of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't just pitch the whole thing out because some people have really done a poor job of explaining this. What we want to say is, Let's take out the good in the word and say, Lord, what would you have to say to us? What would you have to inform us? How would you have us to live? Because the Holy Spirit is God's personal, promised, empowering presence. It's God himself fulfilling his promise to live among his people, to empower them to live and demonstrate him to the rest of the world. And this isn't just some modern idea that we have. This isn't something that we've kind of come up with in the past few hundred years or past 50 years or past 10 years. Back in 325 AD, 17 centuries ago, these men, the church leaders, got together at the Council of Nicaea. They came up with the Nicene Creed because there were some different heresies and different doctrines floating around Christianity at the time that said some really goofy things about Jesus, not being, not being God, the Holy, just some really, and they said, we need to clarify what do we believe about Jesus? What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? And so 17 centuries ago, this was important to them. And so this is what they write about the Trinity in the Nicene Creed. We're going to read a small expert. I believe it's in, is it in your notes? Is that small expert? No. Okay, just you have to hear me listen to it. And this is what they wrote, affirming who the Holy Spirit is, affirming who Jesus is, but they write this, And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And so we read that and say, yes, I, I believe that. I believe in the Holy Spirit. But that faith doesn't always become functional in our lives. So there's this disconnect between what we believe and what we experience, what we read in the book of Acts and what, how our lives play out to be. There's this disconnect. 
And so what I want for us today is to bring a connection to say, Lord, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring in what we read in the Bible, what we see and say, Lord, how can we bring this to bear in our lives today? When we look around the church today, we see many different things. We see churches becoming like mega centers of, of incredible facilities. And so in order to look different from the rest of the world, in order for us to be different, to be, to look like, Hey, there's something different going on in our lives. What we've sadly done is we've built bigger churches. We've done better discipleship. We've focused on leadership. We've got incredible facilities and those things aren't bad. Better facilities, not a bad thing. Focusing on leadership and developing that, not bad. Discipleship, not bad. Those are not bad things. But we try to use those things to differentiate ourselves from the rest of the world. So churches thrive on those things today. They do those things well. It's kind of, sometimes can be a business model. So we've filled seats, but sometimes our hearts still feel empty. We've got more programs. But what we say we believe and what we read in the book of Acts and the rest of the Bible becomes so distant from what we experience. And the answer to these things is not just doing better programs, having better children's ministry, getting a bigger building, having better facilities. It's what Francis Chan calls, says we need to reverse the tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to recover a functional relationship between our theology and experience of the Holy Spirit so that the promised, empowering presence of God is the thing that defines and determines the way we live our lives, the thing that transforms our lives, the things that people look in our lives and say, hey, that church has got great facilities. Hey, that church has got great leadership programs. That's fine, but we want someone to look at our church and say, man, the power of God is in their midst. There is something different about that church. It's not because they have a great facility. It's not because they do great leaders training. It's not because they have good discipleship programs. As good as those may be, we want our church to be something that looks different because the power of God is in our midst. And if people look at our church and say, man, there's something powerful going on in that church. And it's not because they've got a nice building. And it's not because their children's ministry is great. It's because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in their midst. And that is the thing that we want to define our church and define our lives. We don't want to reach out to people and say, hey, look at my life. I serve at church. I do some nice things. But we want people to say, man, there's something different about your life. And it's marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so my expectations for us in this series are three. Three expectations for us in this series. Number one is this. Greater clarity of understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So I want a greater clarity of understanding. I don't want there to be this vague fuzziness when we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. I want there to be clarity. When we talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, I want us to know what we're talking about. I want us to have understanding. Number two, I want a more practical faith that discerns and depends on the work of the Holy Spirit. Practically speaking, what does this understanding translate into for our lives? It's not just more head knowledge. It's not just more understanding. We want this to translate into our lives. So it develops a practical faith. Number three, we want a genuine experience and relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, whom the Bible calls at times the Spirit of Christ. 
We want a genuine relationship. Not just knowledge, not just power, but relationship. So don't be content to just add knowledge to your, to your, to your life. More Bible verses, more understanding, which is good. We want to add more Bible verses and more understanding. We want those things. But we want the active pursuit of God's presence in the Holy Spirit in our lives. You don't have to turn there, but just I want to read Acts 1.8. This is Jesus Christ before he, before he ascends into heaven, what he says to his disciples. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. See, God's promised presence and power it's for a purpose, for a reason. And we're going to look into that in the next few weeks. What is that purpose? What is that reason? So turning to John 14, Jesus is giving his disciples his final discourse, the final teaching he's going to give them, mere hours away from his betrayal. And you think Jesus is, the things on his heart to communicate to someone hours before you're going to depart from them is going to be very important. Here he is, hours from his betrayal, with his disciples who don't really have a clue with what's going on. And he's communicating some things to them. So in, in chapters 14 through 16, this is Jesus' final discourse, final teaching, final message to his disciples who he's eating with at, in the Last Supper. He's communicating some things to them that are important, things that are on his heart, things he wants them to know before, he, before he's betrayed. And he says... He says a few things, but he says, I'm going to leave you. I'm going away. I've been telling you this, but you really haven't gotten this. You haven't really understood this, but I'm going away. I'm leaving you, but I will not be leaving you alone. I'm not going to be leaving you all by yourself. He says, I would, I'm going to send you from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit. Let's look in John 14, verses 16 and 17. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. John 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. And will be in you. So how do you start to introduce the Holy Spirit? If you're Jesus, how do you begin to introduce to your disciples who the Holy Spirit is? How do you begin to describe the Holy Spirit? How is it that you're going to say, and the Spirit's going to come, and what does that mean for you? Okay? So how do you begin to introduce the Holy Spirit? Jesus doesn't resort to illustrations and analogies and parables. Okay, he doesn't say he's like oil or he's like fire or he's like water or, or whatever. Do you know what he compares the Holy Spirit to in this text? He says, I'm comparing the Holy Spirit to myself. He's like me. He's like me. He's not like some other stuff. He's like me. This is what he's like. He's like me. So he's been explaining to his disciples that he's leaving them and returning to the Father. 
And he meets her dis- dismay and their confusion with a promise. He says, the Father is going to, I'm going to go to the Father. We're going to send you the Holy Spirit. And it's almost like if we give someone directions that we, that maybe comes to town to visit us and they're going to go somewhere and we're going to try to give them directions. And the place where we're telling them to go is just like far away. This is not, you know, in your mind, man, after about the third turn, they're lost, right? So as you begin to proceed to give this person directions where to go, you can just see their eyes starting to gloss over. And it's, okay, now I, the fourth turn, you're going to see this, and you're going to turn right here you know, at, at this street, and you can just tell, like, hey, this is not working. This is not going to happen, okay? They're definitely going to get lost. So what you do is you say this. Look, if you get lost, what do you do? You call me, okay? Just call me. I'll help you. Just call me. I'll give you the right directions. If you're lost, I'll probably know where you're at and we'll sort some things out. Now they can get on with what they're doing and they can leave in confidence, even if they don't necessarily know the way, but they know that if they do get lost, they can give you a call. So they can leave in confidence. But suddenly in the disciples' lives, everything had just turned over. All of a sudden, what they've expected Jesus Christ to do and what they expected the kingdom to look like, all of a sudden just got completely turned upside down. Hey, I'm leaving you guys. What do you mean you're leaving us? I thought we were in this together to the end. What do you mean you're going away? And so Jesus meets their dismay and fear. Not with just give me a phone call and I'll help you out. He says, no, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be with you, to go with you. He says, this is who I am sending you in the midst of your fear and this dismay about what's happening. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And that's the same thing that the Lord does for us today. In our fear, dismay, God sends us the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing that God does. And not only does it come from just the Father, but it also comes from the Son. John 15, if you look over a chapter in verse 26, the same, this, the same discourse, the same teaching that Jesus is giving, says, John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness about me. So why does this matter that it's coming from the Father? What's the theological significance to this? Well, it signifies a trust and a relationship between Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And that's theologically important. But really, this point he's making is a little more pastoral than that. He's making this point. He says, you can trust the Holy Spirit. You can trust what I'm sending you. Jesus is making a point that the Holy Spirit is not some unknown entity that's going to show up. Not some just, hey, this thing's going to show up and, hey, just be ready for him. He's going to do some stuff. And he's not making this kind of general like description of the Holy Spirit. He's emphasizing that his own Father in heaven is going to be sending the Holy Spirit. That my Father is going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's from the Father. It's his personal presence. Look, when someone comes over to babysit our kids for the first time, there's kind of this like protocol that you need to do with the kids. Hey, look, I know you've never had so-and-so babysit for you, but here's some things you need to know. Mommy and Daddy trust this person. We love this person. They go to our church. We've known them for a long time. You know, there's all this protocol with our kids because we want them to feel confident that they can trust the person that's going to be coming over. We're not just leaving our kids. Okay, guys, there's someone coming over. Have a great night. See you later. 
We don't ever do that because we want our children to be able to trust the babysitter that mommy and daddy have determined is trustworthy to babysit the kids. So Jesus is doing the same thing here. He says, look, guys, I want to tell you something. This is coming from the Father. You can trust the gift that God is going to give you. This is trustworthy. You can trust this gift of the Holy Spirit. He could have just said, hey, this counselor's showing up. This helper's showing up. He's going to testify. But instead, he stresses the relationship between the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. This is important to Jesus. So be reassured this morning. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid because you've seen some stuff in the past or heard some stories about people abusing the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of saying, oh, no, not not this stuff. Your Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to his children. And one of his gifts to us is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is reassuring his disciples that the gift they're giving is good. That the Spirit is going to come. And the Spirit is, in a sense, it's Christ in us. It's God with us. So, let's look at John 14, 17. Let's go back to verse 17 in John 14. We're going to look at what the Holy Spirit is like. This is, what Jesus, you, this is how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John 14, 17. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive... Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is person. It's not a thing. He's a who, not a what. He's a him, not an it. Okay? It's personal. He's a person. And just... I'm going to just dip into Greek real quick and then we're going to jump right back out again. But the word here for spirit in the Greek is like a neuter word where it's not necessarily he or she. It's just a thing. But in Jesus describing the Holy Spirit in this context, he's not saying it's just this thing. He's saying, no, no, it's a he. He specifically assigns to it a masculine pronoun to describe the Holy Spirit. He's not saying it's just this thing. He says it's a he. It's a person. He says, you can't see him, can't nail him down in one place. He's not physical, but yet he's a real person. Just like you and I, we're, even though our bodies are made up of, of matter and these kinds of things, but we're made up of the same thing that the, the, the chairs are made up of, the walls are made up of. We're made up of the same substance. What, what makes us is our personality, our personhood, the, our spirit inside of us. That's what makes us who we are. He says, that's who the spirit is. It's a person. There's a great quote by Millard Erickson. I don't know if that's in your notes either, but um, I just want to read this quote to you by Millard Erickson because this is important for us to understand. He says this, The Holy Spirit is the point at which the Trinity becomes personal to the believer. The Holy Spirit is the particular person of the Trinity through whom the entire triune Godhead works in us. The Holy Spirit is a person. When the Holy Spirit comes, God comes. Where he is, God is there. He is God in person. Okay? So what is the personality of the Holy Spirit? What is he like? 
We need to ask this question. We need to find out what is he like, okay? In verse 16, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In describing the Holy Spirit, Jesus says he's just like me. Okay, Jesus says, you know what the Holy Spirit is like? He's just like me. He's the same kind of helper. Now I'm going to jump back into the Greek because the Greek word to describe the Holy Spirit in this text is not a Greek word that you just kind of have like a equal equivalent to. It's not like it's this and it means this in English perfectly. It's, it's a much richer and fuller meaning. So we have to, we're going to jump into the Greek. And the word that he uses in this context is called, is parakleton or the paraclete or the parakletos. That's, what he, that's the word he uses in the Greek to describe the Holy Spirit. And in this context, he's describing, he says, he said, another helper, another paraclete, saying another person just like me. It's, not, it's of the same sort, not a different type. So if you go to a hardware store and you give him a bolt, you say, I need another one of these, okay? They're going to give you something exactly the same as that one. They're not going to come back with a, a, a bolt with a different thread count and different size and all those things. That's not the same kind. That's not one just like that. And so what Jesus is saying here is, he's like, I'm sending another helper, another counselor, just like me. It's going to look exactly the same as me. The Holy Spirit is of the same being as Jesus. In the same essence as the Father and the Son. He is equally God as the Father and the Son. And he's equally God in all those aspects. Not only that, but this word paracletin is a word that uses to come alongside. And, it's, and we're going to look a little bit more at this translation because I want us to see the richness of this word that they use. So it can be, it can be translated as counselor, comforter, helper, champion, advocate. This word really refers to someone coming alongside. So the Holy Spirit's coming alongside us. So what does this word mean, helper? Okay, I'm going to just read to you um, this commentary by William Barclay, who's an who's just an expert in, in the, the, the ancient Greek language, he says this about this word paraclete that is used in this, in this text. He says, It really means someone who is called in. But it is the reason why the person is called in which gives the word its distinct associations. The Greeks use the word in a wide variety of ways. A parakletos might be a person called in to give witness in a, in a law court in someone's favor. He might be a, an advocate called in to plead the cause of someone under a charge which would give serious penalty. He might be an expert called in to give advice in some difficult situation. He might be a person called in when, for example, a company of soldiers were depressed and dispirited to put new courage into their minds and hearts. Always a parakletos is someone called in to help in time of trouble or need. It really gives a richer meaning to this word helper, doesn't it? So Jesus is saying this parakletos, this paraclete that I'm sending along is someone called alongside to help. It's an advocate. It's a counselor. It's a helper who's there for you. In 1 John 2 verse 1, you don't have to turn there. But John uses the paraclete to describe who Jesus Christ is. He's saying the Spirit is carrying out the same work that Jesus Christ is doing. When we ask God for help, it's the Holy Spirit who provides the help to us. 
Now, Jesus also says, you know him because he is with you. Jesus said in verse 17, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus isn't saying he's coming along. He's going to be completely unfamiliar to you. You're not going to know him. He says, no, no, he's already familiar to you. You already know what he's like because you've been with me. You've been with the spirit. Jesus is saying you currently know him because he is currently lives with you and dwells with you. Jesus is reminding them that he himself has been dwelling among them and that he himself has been with them. So they know the spirit. He's saying he's been with you because I've been with you and he will be in you. So what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's doing three things. He's coming alongside to help. As believers, we're never left alone. We're never by ourselves. The Holy Spirit is coming alongside to help. Number two, the Holy Spirit is continuing the ministry of Jesus. And that's revealing God to us and to the world. And number three is this, bringing God's presence into us. It's God's presence into us. It's God living in us. Jesus promises that God's Spirit will not only be with us, but in us forever. And sometimes we can think of the Holy Spirit as like the force, all right? Channel the force. It's this kind of impersonal thing that's out there, like in Star Wars. It's the force. It's this kind of vague thing that, that you can, you know, get into and you can do some cool stuff. That's not the way Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. He says he's a person. He has work to do. He dwells within you. He reveals God to people. He says, when the Spirit comes, the Father and Son come as well. He is God, the Spirit. And God has come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And through our faith in Christ, not only just to visit us, not just to be with us every once in a while, but to dwell with us and in us forever. I challenge you guys, as we go through this week, as you dig into... The, the workbooks and the handouts that we have. Allow the word of God to change your understanding of the Holy Spirit. Allow the word of God to give shape and definition to what you understand the Holy Spirit to be. That is what we want. We want the word of God to inform and direct us in what we believe. And so today was just a foundation kind of one to the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at more next week. But this is my heart for the church that we would, when we begin to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, we would have understanding and not just vagueness, but clear clarity of, of thought. Has that been your understanding of the Holy Spirit? Is that the way you've understood it to be? And so for us, it's not just knowledge, but saying, Lord Jesus, if this is what you'd have for me. I want more. I want more of your spirit in my life. I want to be empowered by your spirit. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I want to know you. And God gives us the Holy Spirit in response to that. So I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion. But the challenge is, God, what does this mean for me in my life? And as we take communion, I want you to consider those things. So Lord, we come before you this morning and we pray that your word 
would go through us and bring clarity and understanding. God, help us not to be afraid of what we've seen in the past, but let your word bring faith so we can move forward in all that you have for us as your people. And God, I do ask that you would use your word this week to give us the grace we need to change, to be empowered, and to live for you with all of our hearts in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.